Welcome to This is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose, to create a better life for all residents of the region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. Today, our guests are Reverend Daryl Gray of Expecta St. Louis and the chair of the Social Justice Commission, Missouri Progressive Baptist Commission, Reverend John Stratton of Trinity Episcopal Church in St. Louis, and Richard Von Glan, Missouri Jobs with Justice Policy Director. Welcome, gentlemen, and thank you for joining me. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to talk about a bill making its way through the Missouri legislature. Uh, it is been known up to this point as Senate Bill 26. There's a lot in the bill, and today we're going to mainly focus on a provision that creates the crime of unlawful traffic interference. So we're recording this on Friday, February 26th. Um, as much as you know, what is the current status of this bill? Where is it? This bill has gone through committee, was perfected, and uh, was passed by the Senate. So it is entirely through the Senate process. Um, and the next step in the House is it will be referred by the Speaker of the House, Rob Vescovo, to a committee. It has not been referred to committee yet. Okay, let's start by just describing some of the details of this idea of unlawful traffic interference. Uh, what, what is in it and, and what does it do? I think that Richard's probably the, the, the best person to talk about it. But from, from our perspective, uh, and I want to go back, initially we thought it was, it was even worse than it is now. I mean, initially we were looking at uh, obstruction of traffic, or they were looking at it as a felony, just straight out the gate. Uh, because of Senator Barbara Washington and Senator Carla, Carla May and, and other senators uh, 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 in Jeff City, uh, they were able to present amendments to uh, the bill that would make it a, an infraction uh, for the first offense, a misdemeanor for the second offense, and a felony for the third offense. Uh, from our perspective as, as activists, we're, we're still unclear uh, as to you know what that obstruction means. Does it mean standing still? Does it mean moving with traffic? Does it mean slowing down? There's still a lot of ambiguity about it, but for the most part, we just see it as uh, legislation, anti-protest legislation, legislation that is geared to, to intimidate and threaten, uh, not necessarily uh, activists like you see here today, who are pretty hardcore activists, uh, but but activists who have come out by way of George Floyd, who are who are older, uh, who are uh, have not been involved in protests and, and to cause them to stop and wonder and think. Uh, and so, as I said, I know that John and, and Richard could be a little bit more specific. Uh, I'm the generalist in the group. Thanks. For, thanks, Reverend Gray, for uh, for that. And it, it it is it's not as bad as it was. You're right. Uh, I think we should be clear, though, that it would still you and I would both have felony accounts um, right. charges uh, if this was was legal just last year. Um, 
I think it's also, it's really important, I think, to point out the context of this bill. So it's labeled as a public safety bill, right? Um, but what happened last year? So last year, a police officer murdered George, George Floyd. And this bill creates a police bill of rights. Last year, there was a call to take down racist statues and monuments. This bill protects statues and monuments. Last year, people made it out into the street, massive amounts of people, to demonstrate for social, racial, and economic justice. And this bill criminalizes that act. So it's not like this just came out of the blue because uh, our lawmakers were all of a sudden concerned about our safety. Like this is a, a racist white supremacist bill that is in direct uh, reaction and opposition to the movement for black lives. And because it is in that historical context, that's what makes it so blatantly racist. So it's not about, it's not about public safety. And the reality too is, and, and, and I think that, you know, as uh, Reverend Stratton has said, we're seeing this across the country and, and, and we have a feeling that where, where Missouri goes, so does the rest of the country. I think that Richard uh, told us in, in a previous meeting that there are probably almost two dozen of these anti-protest uh, bills throughout the country. And as John said, in, in, uh, they come directly as a result of, of this movement. Uh, and it is, it is an effort to silence. I, I, I testified uh, early on when it was Senate Bill 66. And I reminded uh, the senators that the things are we, that we're doing, uh, the civil disobedience, the being in the street, are the same methods and tactics uh, that, that clergy and civil rights uh, leaders and activists use in the 50s and the 60s uh, to defeat segregation and Jim Crow, uh, to create voting rights and civil rights. Uh, and uh, and and uh, to address housing disparities, and so they haven't changed. And so, a, a good friend of mine, Reverend Dr. Joseph Lowry, used to remind us that as we go through this process, everything will change, but nothing will change. Uh, and we're just seeing, as Reverend Stratton said, the same thing. But it seems, though, to be intensifying. And it almost, uh, in addition, John, it also seems to be a backlash at how the country has responded to what happened on January the 6th. And they're saying, well, if you're gonna come after us from January the 6th, then we're gonna intensify our efforts against Black Lives Matter, and we're gonna put it in legislation. And so you're gonna to have to choose. Explain a little bit more about, uh, about that, the, the, the choosing between the two. What do you mean by that? Well, the whole idea of freedom of speech. When you look at January the 6th, uh, you have white supremacists who have said, this is, this is our freedom of speech, that we're going out here and we're massing and you're saying that we're, uh, it, not the violent part, put the violent part away. Put the violent part away because you know, we, we you know, don't strive to, to be violent. Uh, but what we're hearing throughout the country is that um, uh, January 6th was their moment of freedom of speech, of freedom of assembly. That is what we're hearing from throughout the country. 
and, and what we're hearing from civil rights organizations and leaders like NAN and like SCLC and NAACP through their channels is that that's what's, what's being said within the halls of Congress. That's what uh, right-wing fanatics are saying. Well, uh, if you come after us, we propose this type of legislation that's going to make it easier for us to come after you as well. You can't, and, and they're saying you can't have it both ways. Well, we disagree because we understand that what happened in January the 6th has nothing to do with the George Floyd movement and the Black Lives Matter movement. Has absolutely nothing, but we understand how easy it is also the, the muddy the waters, the, you know, to, 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 to convolute the narrative. Particularly for those who are not following this as closely as Jobs for Justice may be following it or Expect Us may be following it or Metropolitan uh, Clergy United may be following it. Now, you had mentioned, uh, uh, John, that this is specifically, you know, a racist, white supremacist uh, movement here. Can you dig a little bit deeper into that and, and, and what, what, what makes it that? What are, the, what are sort of the hallmarks that we're looking at? Yeah, so, I mean, to reiterate just real quick is, you know, all the things that happened last year, this is a response to. <clears throat> so... This didn't just fall out of the sky because people were concerned about safety. Uh, but it's, it's also, if you look at it in a, even a broader historical context, it is part of his, an historic attempt to silence people's voices and to criminalize uh, activism or you know, to criminalize the democratic process. Mm -hmm. uh, Reverend Gray, uh, already said quite quite well that a lot of the civil liberties and rights that we have right now were because people stepped into the street and blocked traffic right mm -hmm. so if this is a an attempt to criminalize that to make that a felony uh then it's part of this larger larger historical attempt to squash the people's rights and freedoms to protest, to gather together, um, and to hold people accountable, particularly elected leaders. I mean, I, I just think the, 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 the phrase that always comes to my mind with this kind of thing, it comes from an old labor union song, which side are you on? Which mm -hmm. side are you on? And this is another attempt of our lawmakers to be on the wrong side. Right. And that question, which side are you on, isn't just a labor song. That's a theological question, too. Mm -hmm. Because if you look through scripture, God is always asking us, which side are you going to be on? Right. Are you going to be on Pharaoh's side? Are you going to be this, or are you going to be on the side of liberation? Are you going to be on the side of the prophets? Or are you going to be on the side of unjust kings? Right. Are you going to be on the side of the followers of love and of justice? Or are you going to be on the side of the emperor? And this is just another attempt and a very long line of attempts to be on the wrong side and to make sure that the wrong side wins. I want to add one thing to, to I think John and Daryl's correct analysis of the historical context here, but we should also look at what other bills advanced in the legislature this, this week, this very week. There's the bill to criminalize protest and dissent that we're talking about. There was a bill for photo ID, which has shown to have a disproportionate harm on um, older communities and black and brown communities. There was a bill to restrict 
the ballot initiative process, which has been used by citizens to achieve justice on issues that the legislature was opposed to. And so this is part of Senate Bill 26 is part of a larger anti-democratic right. movement in this state and in this country in which those in power seek to use their power to cement their power and mm -hmm. silence dissent. Um, and you know, when, when you look at who that is in the Missouri legislature, right. um, it's, it's pretty clear who they are and, and who they're seeking to silence. And it's interesting, uh, Richard, because uh, talking to, to Rod Chapel today from the NAACP, uh, and we were talking about these methods, the, the, the George Floyd movement, it was people, and, and, and John said it, people in the street who got the attention of the passerby, who, who made life a little bit uncomfortable for you because somebody else's life had been cut short. And so... Uh, trying to capture your attention, the whole idea of, of civil disobedience. But you're right. If you look at, uh, you know, without going into partisan anything, the reality was a progressive agenda was advanced last year uh, in, in so many ways. Black and brown people got out to vote. When we talk about voter suppression, even now, we're still talking about those cities and those states where black and brown people came out in record numbers in the midst of a pandemic and elected a Democratic president. George Floyd, uh, the, the former administration, Breonna Taylor, the whole thing, you are absolutely right, Richard, is that uh, those who seek to maintain the status quo, those who seek to advance white supremacy and white fear have decided that this is, the, this is our time and this is the way to do it because they're looking at the future as well. They're looking at 2022 and they're looking at uh, 2024 and they are preparing themselves to push back from the, from the uh, progressive agenda, which, was, which, which we see uh, was elevated uh, last year as a result or, or in, during the George Floyd uh, movement. So you're absolutely right, Richard. It's, it's, it's not just one thing, it's all of the above, and they have decided that they don't have the luxury nor the time to try to do one thing at a time. Thank you for putting that context on it, Richard. I, it, you know, showing everything that's going on at the same time is an important thing. I think one of the, one of the almost tactics that's used in situations like this is to isolate an issue, that when you remove it from context, you start to think, oh, well, that sounds reasonable. And that starts to peel off um, support um, around the edges and, 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 and weaken a, a position. But when you put it in context, when you see the, the, the movement or the, the, the pushback to a movement um, all in one, it, 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 it ties it all together and, and it shows the, that power um, uh, struggle. So thank you for that. And... We've seen the, uh, uh, the tactics of distraction. Uh, and luckily we have an MCU. Luckily we have a, a, a Jobs with Justice. Luckily we have uh, uh, other groups like Expect Us uh, who are able to, to focus in on different issues uh, at the same time. Uh, but, but I believe that it is a concerted effort, Richard, 
deliberately to put all these fires, to light all these fires at the same time, uh, to, to divide us, to dilute uh, our strength. And so uh, I'm under no uh, illusion uh, that what they're doing was by happenstance. I think what they what they're doing is is extremely deliberate uh, uh, and and uh, uh, and geared uh, to weaken to weaken our strength as coalitions and alliances as well. Yeah, and to add on to that, I think it's definitely intentional, and it's also a reaction against what Missouri citizens, the people, have passed through these uh, popular ballot initiatives over the past few years. I mean, we raised the minimum wage, expanded Medicaid or Medicaid. Sorry, uh, we defeated right to work, um, class passed clean Missouri. So I think they're afraid, maybe, and they want to, like you said, uh, Reverend Gray, dilute our power because we've got a lot of it, and we've shown that over the past few years. I want to talk a little bit more about the sort of tactic of making folks uncomfortable when it comes to. Uh, civil rights. Why? Why is this tool important? Um, can you expand on that a little bit? Because that's that's essentially what we're talking about here. Well, it's you know, Dr. King had six principles uh, for civil disobedience. Uh, the six principles uh, principles of nonviolence. And the the first thing Dr. King taught us was do your research, get your information, make sure before you go out, you know exactly what you're talking about. And then number two, share that information with the people, it's about education. Get your information and then educate the masses. It, it's important, uh, Kevin, that as we're out, we're getting people's attention. The, the, the folk that we interact with when we, when we shut down a street or you know, when we go in an intersection, uh, these are people who may not read about what's going on, what we're doing in the paper. They, they, they may not see it on social media. They may not see it in the, in the news. What we're doing also is raising awareness when we're out in the street. And I know I've seen John do it rather than, uh, you know, somebody blows the horn instead of us being uh, uh, adversarial uh, or confrontational. We're trying to educate. This is what we're out here doing. We're going to give you a flyer. We're going to give you an email address. We're going to give you a hashtag. We're going to give you something Be because we need to make sure that people, A, Feel, see the pain, see the pain, hear the pain, uh, know that people are interested enough, passionate about, passionate enough, committed enough to be in the street, to put their bodies oftentimes in harm's way, but in that moment, to take that moment to educate in hopes to bring somebody, uh, to bring a supporter along, or at least get somebody to, to ask themselves, why are they doing this? Why are they, why are they making so much out of whatever? And maybe they may seek information themselves. I think that, you know, Richard and, and John, I know that they can definitely add to that. Yeah, I, I think to your question, Kevin, about the notion of intimidation here is the question of why now does unlawful traffic interference require a felony conviction? Why now? And what is it that a felony conviction achieves that a fine or a misdemeanor doesn't? Well, what it, one thing that it achieves is in Missouri, at least temporarily, the loss of someone's right to vote. 
the loss of someone's ability to continue to dissent and participate in our democracy. And I think when you consider all of the other ways that there are these anti-democratic bills moving, that that is the reason for a felony. It is not to dissuade people from protesting or do anything. It is designed to punish them. As John said, it's not about public safety. It is about public punishment of those that you disagree with and a further tightening and restriction on their rights to participate as equal citizens in society. But I would suggest to the proponents of this bill, you know, as a labor organizer, I've always said, the best organizer is the boss. Um, the more you try to squeeze, the more you try to restrict, the more you try to punish and divide, the more we will grow and the more will side with us and speak out against these bills. Okay, excellent. What is, what is currently uh, the, what, what happens right now? Because you guys have been in protests and you guys have been arrested. And so what is the process now and what, is, what are the consequences and, and compare that to what is being proposed here? Well, I think for us, and, 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 and we try to be deliberate, we try to be strategic. Uh, you know, like you said, all of us, I think all of us have been arrested uh, dealing with protests. When I say we're strategic and we're calculated, I, you know, we have jail support. You know, we make sure that we have jail support. Anytime that we think that we might get arrested, uh, it's planned in advance. Uh, you know, we make sure that we have legal observers uh, present. We make sure that we have uh, jail support uh, on alert. Uh, we identify uh, who's going to get arrested. We try to at least as much as we can uh, so that, you know, we can uh, be able to manage that, uh, uh, you know, getting people in, getting people out. Uh, most of the time, there is some uh, communication after the arrest with law officials to try to move people a lot uh, quicker through the process, depending upon where you are. In a fluorescent, it might be different than in a St. Charles County. Uh, downtown might be different than, than in the county. I mean, we have Kim Gardner downtown. We've got Wesley Bell in the county. And so we try to, to make sure we do that. I, in my problem, I want to go back to what Richard said. I, I agree with you, Richard about the, the voter suppression uh, and the, and the, and the penal, penalizing, but I, I think it's both. I think it's the intimidation and, and, the, and the penalty. So I, I, don't think, I don't think it's either, I think it's both and. And so uh, that's where we are right now. I think that if uh, you stay in the, uh, each municipality has its own jurisdiction, obviously. I think the city and the county, I think Richard right now, it's still a misdemeanor. I think if you go on the highway, that becomes a felony, I think some of us. But uh, what, what has been happening is that most of the municipalities uh, have held off, you know, if you charge it within a year, if you don't charge it within a year, kind of goes away. And that seems to have been over the last year where most of the municipalities kind of fell under. I do agree with Richard. I don't think that that's gonna be the case moving forward. I, I think that there's going to be a push uh, from higher up, from state government to these local municipalities uh, to begin to execute uh, more arrests. I do agree with Richard. 
so that you get to that felony stage. Because I think it is definitely intended to punish and, and to be punitive. And as John said, it has nothing to do with public safety at all. I believe the current, like the current charge is still a potentially a, a misdemeanor for, and under the law as it is now for blocking traffic. I'm not sure. I still have one pending charge against me, so I'll, I'll let you know in, in April. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, currently the, the, the consequences could be a night in jail. Right. You know, it could be community service. You could have to pay a fine. Consequences are sometimes a, what they call like a, a bench. Oh, what do they call that? Basically where it's suspended sentence and you do right. bench probation. Um, so this would, sig- this would increase the consequences significantly to, from what they are right now, which there are still consequences. I don't want to like, I don't want to minimize those night in jail is not a fun thing to do. Right. Uh, And also, you know, you can be charged with other things that have nothing to do with blocking traffic wrongly, like third degree assault, even though you never did it, you know, lifted a finger. So they, I guess what I'm trying to say is there are already laws in place that makes blocking traffic illegal. And there are already consequences to those to, to blocking traffic and getting charged with a, a misdemeanor or even an infraction. And back to what Richard said, there is no reason for this to be a felony. It is absolutely ridiculous. Right. And it is just to intimidate people and eventually to limit their ability to vote and to participate in the process. And, and the other thing about, uh, you know, even the, the whole designation of unlawful assembly, uh, I think that, you know, it's that's always been a gray area, Kevin, as well. What constitutes an unlawful assembly, the discretion by the police to say you have three minutes to disperse versus five minutes to disperse. And as John said, what we've always what we found, it, it, it goes from from one to ten so quick that that you, you go from unlawful assembly to failure to disperse, to obstruction of justice, to resisting arrest, to to assault it. It. It, it just goes so quick. And so, uh, you know, everybody is absolutely right. I mean, this is a disaster waiting to happen, uh, but it's a disaster that's being cre- created deliberately. And that kind of gets to the idea, too, is that there are multiple there are multiple levels you're dealing with, too. You're dealing with the officer confronting you in the street who is making a decision based on how he understands the law, he or she understands the law. And then there's the the prosecutor that's going to bring charges and then there's the judge and, and all of these levels that, that each one of those um, entities can, can make a decision on how they understand that law. Then That is Kevin, I will point out to your earlier, I think your initial question about how is this sort of white supremacy in action or anything, this provides a tool to be used against those that you disfavor. Um, it will not mean that everyone who participates in the action gets charged the same way, but it will mean if a particular police officer or a particular prosecutor is tired of a certain protester or a certain issue that they take offense at, that they will have a tool and a weapon at their disposal to intimidate and use to silence those particular participants that they disagree with. I think it's also important to point out, so I mean, this is definitely a white supremacist piece of legislation, no doubt about it. That was, that is its intent. 
but it also criminalizes any protest. So no matter what you're protesting for, if you block traffic, you could potentially get a felony. No matter what issue you're protesting, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, no matter if you're a Democrat or Republican or somewhere in between, like you could get a felony. So I, I just want to, I think it's important to note that it's not just necessarily uh, progressive causes. It could be anything. And, and I was thinking, uh, I, I, this is uh, joking a little bit, uh, but it's how people decide to enforce it is that come next October, if the Cardinals win a World Series, my guess is that it will not be enforced mm -hmm. after that final out. So right. it, it, it depends on, on who wants yeah. to enforce it and when. And John's point is a great point. And I think that that's why uh, with Jobs for Justice and OBS and others uh, constructing the coalition as they, as they have uh, to try to speak against it, reminding people, as John said, this is not just about them coming after Black Lives Matter. Although we know it, we know that is a huge part of it, but it's against anyone who would question uh, uh, the status quo, uh, who would seek to, to question the status quo, who would seek to question the, the, the political power, uh, the mindset, uh, you know, without, without due respect to everybody, our present company excluded this, this white male fear uh, that is uh, permeating our country right now. And so John is absolutely right. But I think it also go, it, it goes back to, to, we have to make sure. Dr. King used the phrase uh, that we have to build alliances based upon necessity and not necessarily desirability. And so uh, within the progressive Baptist community that we, we need to be open to reach out to the LGBTQ uh, plus community, uh, because this bill is going to affect their protests, our protests, like it will affect their protests, or uh, or uh, 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 Planned Parenthood, or uh, uh, free uh, or, or pro-choice, or or whatever. And so we've got to begin to have this. But even even with uh, those who you know those white supremacists who decide in Jefferson City on any given day that they want to go and walk in and block the streets, which they have. And so John is absolutely right. And, uh, you know, how much time do we have to put that message out uh, to make sure that people understand that this is a direct attack on dissent, on democracy, on freedom of speech? And I'm hoping that that we'll go to Jefferson City, you know, once we find out what committee uh, the bill is going to be assigned to. And just like the, the Second Amendment folk went up there the other day, we, we might pay a visit to Jeff City as well. So I'm waiting on Richard to give me my marching order. Sounds good. Um, Richard, I wanted to give you a chance to give a, 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 us a little history, too, about um, uh, protesting and taking to the streets when it comes to la labor movement. The, historically, the importance to, to raising grievances that are ignored otherwise. Part of what you need to do in order for other people to understand your pain is you need to be able to almost share it with them. Um, and so and you need to grab people's attention and be able to say, rather than you being able to ignore the pain and suffering that I am going through, I am going to expose you to that pain 
I am going to expose you to the inconvenience of my suffering. And to John's earlier point, I am going to demand that you choose a side. Um, I am going to demand in my action that you do that. And in the labor movement that has historically been um, very powerful. I mean, you do not get an end to child labor um, in this country without protests of inconvenience um, on, on blocking others. You know, I don't think you get an end to Jim Crow. I don't think you get to women's suffrage. I don't think you get into any environmental standards. Um, and the labor movement, you know, strikes continue to be an incredibly important um, tool to workers to be able to say, no, the pain that I am feeling, the inconvenience that I am feeling is going to be shared. Um, and that's really, I think, what this, what this bill is trying to, trying to avoid, um, to, to allow comfort and avoidance of um, by, by some to, to those that are less fortunate. I'll share a, a um, almost poetic statement that was given to us by Reverend uh, Dr. Sonia Williams, who's the Dean of Students and Practical Theologian at Eden Seminary. She had said that House Bill 26 says that when the structures of white supremacy have inflicted pain once again upon my community, that my humanity not be allowed to grieve publicly. You do understand that protest is not a celebration of rightness, rather it is an illumination of wrong committed against God's creation. And then she goes on to say, the demonstration of public pain does not prohibit safety. It welcomes safety, particularly for the most vulnerable, but essentially for all people. I thought that was just a beautiful way to, to kind of sum up what you guys have said so far. Yeah, there, there is a certain level in which protest is in a, is a, it is a valve in which legislators and the larger community can understand the pain that their neighbors may be in. And, you know, anyone who's done second grade science understands, like, if you just keep putting corks in things, that doesn't mean the pressure stops building. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's why, I mean, this is, I think, a cruel bill, a white supremacist bill, but it's also just going to be an ineffective bill. Um, you know, people are not going to stop um, engaging in protests because our masters tell us to. That's not how this works. Okay. Let's move on to, and I'll just kind of open this up to a popcorn response. What are some of the other problematic provisions in this bill? Because it is loaded with quite a bit. I think one of the things, it was interesting because when, when, when I first heard of the bill, one of the things I heard was one of the amendments was what was classified as an anti-defund the police amendment. And that was where uh, the bill was saying to local governments, if you cut your budget, 12% or over, your police budget, 12% or, or over, we, the state could penalize you with money coming from the state to your local municipality. And so if you cut your budget over 12%, there may be money that you won't get from us. And, uh, you, know, you know, violation of, of, of local control, but basically saying that 
no, there will be no defunding the police on our watch. And, and, and that's what it said to me very clearly. And then just second, just second to that, and it was interesting, the, the uh, law officer's uh, bill of rights where a police officer has to be told that there's an investigation that's, 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 that, 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 the, that there's going to be an investigation on, on him or her. And I was glad. Now, John Hayden and I, we disagree on a whole lot of things, but even the chief of police in St. Louis said, that's not right. That's not good. That's not appropriate because why would we tell a suspect that we're investigating them, even if they're a police officer? So once again, uh, we, we continue to be so pro-police that we become anti-public as well. And, and so those two things bother me because we, always, we already have an issue that we don't believe that police can effectively police po themselves. So that's already an issue that we have. But, but the, the more you give police an out, the more you, you, in, you insulate them, the, 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 the more you make it harder for police to be prosecuted, the, the worse bad police get and the further away community get from any kind of police relationship. I just add on to that. So any, you know, the police are, are, are part of the, the public, they're a public institution. In any public institution, there should be accountability and transparency. And this Bill of Rights, quote, quote unquote, does not make police more accountable to the people. It makes them less accountable to the people. Um, so it, it's also an affront on what it even means to be a public institution, uh, which I think is problematic in and of itself. I think John's right there. I mean, public institutions are about accountability. And you, when you block elected officials um, or the public from being able to spend their resources in the way that they choose, I mean, that is yet another further anti-democratic aspect of this bill. Okay. And then I think the, the final thing that, that comes up in the bill, and this is something that uh, Reverend Dr. Williams would point out, um, is the provision about uh, upping the penalties for vandalism of public statues. Um, that, that she points out that this is specifically in response to a, a change in the, the public's taste for uh, the honoring of, of white supremacist historical figures. Um, and that this is a a reactionary uh, law that is intended to protect these inanimate pieces of, uh, of, of inanimate objects that, that uh, deify uh, those who have, have caused pain in the past. So again, this bill is just loaded with, with lots of problematic, problem, problematic uh, provisions. Well, yeah, after last summer, it's almost like they're not even trying to hide that this is a uh, racist bill. Right, <laughs> right, right. The only thing can make it more racist if you put like a white hood on it. I mean, like this thing is obviously directed as a reaction against what happened last year, right. last summer. Right. <laughs> it's right. ridiculous. And 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 we we all know the power of symbols. Uh, for me, when and I use the 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 sixth of January. When, when I saw the Confederate flag in the rotunda, when I saw that Confederate flag being walked through the nation's capital, when I saw the gallows 
I'm I'm a product of the the 50s. I'm older than all of you on the call. So the the reality is that I grew up in segregation. Black schools, white schools, colored only, the whole the reality. And so yeah, though you know the deep triggers. And so John is right that you know the reality of the symbols maintaining the symbols as long as we can as long as we can keep these these symbols and continue to point to them because that's what's visible if if you if you're not reading the laws if you're not reading the policies or the ordinances if you don't understand anything else look at that the the visual uh which you know oftentimes is more powerful than than anything else and for and for us we we are we're we're that visual people and so we we get it we understand as john said why white supremacists want to keep white supremacy objects in our view to remind us that 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 we weren't born here we were brought here to remind us that that we we were not our, our humanity was not sacred. And so those are constant reminders. And, and so it, it is calculated. It is deliberate. It is supremacy, pure and simple. Uh, and, uh, you know, for me, Kevin, uh, I, I'm optimistic, though, because I see the fight of the allies. Uh, I see the fight of the Johns and the and the Richards and the Teresas and the and the Susans and and the others uh, and the Melanies who, who who continue to put themselves on the front line, uh, and which is their place. And so uh, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. Uh, it, it, it's 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 a fight, uh, and it's it's uh, it's draining and it's weary. Uh, but uh, I'd, I'd rather be in a fight with, with these folk uh, with this than, than anybody else. I'm in good company. I, I don't have to worry about my back. I, I know who has my back. All right, let's, let's talk about where we go from here. Uh, the, the bill is still uh, has to pass the House. So uh, what do folks need to do? And, and um, I was also thinking that this is not a bill that if you're in a safely Democratic seat, you can necessarily take for granted. Um, that this is going to take basically all hands on deck to to address it. So, uh, talk about what we do from here. Yeah. I, it, so the so the bill is in the house now, um, and um, I think there is uh, there is some likelihood that this bill will be amended in the house. Um, I would expect uh, potentially made made even worse. Um, and if it is amended, then it has to go back to the Senate. And you know, the Senate is where there is more leverage to stop bad bills because senators, as they did on Monday evening, can begin to talk and talk and talk. And you know, that takes away from other priorities um, that the, the majority party might have. And they might say, well, this bill is no longer worth it. I think as advocates, we need to look at this. Um, I think you're right, Kevin. You, you, we shouldn't assume any one politician is necessarily for or against it. There are provisions in here that um, you know can be about uh, reforms that police officers or, or 
safety personnel might say that they want that um, Democrats might be inclined to to support. Um, but as John mentioned earlier, there might be opportunities to educate some um, conservative lawmakers on how this could penalize the uh, the protesters outside of Planned Parenthood or other institutions, and uh, that they might want to think twice um, about um, about such actions. So I think we need to continue to grow our coalition, not take anything for granted um, as either support or opposition, and really continue to lift up this country was built, established almost as an act of protest. Um, I mean, very early on, you know, we had people um, from the Boston Tea Party and, and other things. I mean, it is, um, it is a strong part of our history. And I think when we continue to lift that up and challenge that, um, this bill was not on the governor's desk um, and there's still a lot can happen in the legislative session. And so we need to we need to continue to push and advocate and um, fight that this this bill in the middle of May ends up one of those that got far but didn't quite get far enough um, and and ends up in the waste bin. And I think that you know to Richard's point is that you know what we continue to to do is, is, is help uh, activists, organizers, protesters understand that this is a process. We go from protest to politics to policy, and we're, we're, in, a, we're in a different part of, of that journey now. Richard's right. We're, we're in that political part of it where, where we've got to exert uh, ourselves uh, with with our state representatives. And, and I do remember when the governor, was it last year when he had this special session on crime uh, in the Senate? We had a senator, Democratic senator, uh, who kind of wavered away from where uh, Black senators, uh, Democratic senators were going. And so you're absolutely right. I think that we need to, to reach out to everyone. Uh, we, need, we don't need to assume uh, that everyone is on the same page. I agree with Richard. I think that the coalition that Jobs with Justice and OBS has, has brought together, uh, we've got the uh, Progressive Caucus of the Democratic Party who has reached out to our state party uh, chairperson to say, we want the state party uh, to make a pronouncement on this uh, and to make sure that uh, the Democratic elected officials and the Democratic Party or in line with the Progressive Caucus, or in line with, 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 with activists and protesters. And so we're reaching out, Kevin, to make sure that everyone is involved. I know that uh, religious leaders have, have signed uh, a petition and letters, and uh, it is our hope within the next few days that we can reach out to more uh, of the faith, faith community, faith leaders, to say, we need you to reach out. This cannot be seen as simply a, a I-70 initiative. It's got to be seen as a statewide initiative. Uh, and so, as I said, we've got to reach out to everyone, you know, uh, legislative uh, districts where representatives get elected by less than 100 votes. You know, we need to be very strategic on this. Uh, and, and I think that 
with what uh, Jobs with Justice and OBS and others are doing are helping us to make sure that all of us know the same thing at the same time uh, so that everybody within their own lane can do what they do. And I think that that's what we're going to be doing, as Richard said, leading up to the end of this bill. We're going to let people know that we're not going away on this. And we understand the process and we're going to be involved in the process, in addition to some other things as well. I also think it's important to expand the narrative, the, the narrative that opposes this bill. So if we only talk about this bill as an anti-protester bill, a lot of people throughout the state are going to say, I'm not a protester. I don't care. And you know what? Those protesters are annoying anyways, because when they block the street, I can't get to my kid's piano recital or whatever it is. And I think, I mean, it is an anti-protester bill. We need to be honest about that. But we also need to talk about how this is an anti-people's bill. Because the people on the street, they want the same thing as anybody else. They want health care. They want treated with respect on, on, at the job. They want a livable minimum wage. They want good schools for their kids. Like the things that we're fighting for are the same things that anyone wants and deserves. Whether you live in North City or Cape Girardeau or Rolla or wherever, like that's why we're doing what we're doing. So it's not just anti-protest, it is anti-people because it's anti the things that people need. And the legis that our state legislators do not care about the people. Like if you're listening to this, they don't care about you. And that's the that's the story that needs to be told. Because if they cared about you, they'd be they'd be worried more about getting a vaccine to you than stopping traffic on I-70, right? Like they are spending time, <laughs> rural Missouri keeping protesters in St. Louis and Kansas City from stopping an interstate that doesn't affect you at all when they could be working on keeping your hospital from being closed or they could be working on getting your grandmother a vaccine so she doesn't literally die. So this is an anti-people bill and it just shows that the folks in Jefferson City do not care about you, plain and simple. Okay, good. I think that's an excellent note to wrap things up on. I think I would agree in, in that. Uh, also, when you look at uh, the sort of uh, across the board effort to reverse uh, uh, publicly popular initiatives that have been passed over the last couple of years, um, this falls along uh, right with what you were saying, that it's it's anti-people. Anti uh, it seems to be the the driving force within Jefferson City. I want to thank our guest today, Reverend Gerald Gray of Expecta St. Louis and the chair of the Social Justice Commission, Progressive Baptist Commission, Reverend John Stratton of Trinity Episcopal Church in St. Louis, and Richard Von Galan, Missouri Jobs with Justice Policy Director. To learn more about us here at MCU, go to the Metropolitan Congregations United website at mcustlewis.org, and also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. I'm Kevin Prang, and you have been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time, and thank you for listening.